Chapter Twenty Seven of One Commonplace Day by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Overdoing. While all these varied experiences were being lived in the Hartzell home and in the home at Washington and in the boarding houses of Chicago, life by no means stood still with others of our acquaintance. Fanny Copeland, for instance, was passing through an experience which seemed to her to be all rose color. The days were spent in getting rested after an evening of pleasure, and in getting ready for another of the same character. One of those spasms of activity which seem to take hold occasionally of aristocratic old towns like Eastwood, and to manage them like an epidemic, had seized upon them. Eastwood was gay, that seemed to be the fashionable name for it, and Fanny Copeland was in the fashion. She had sprung into it full-fledged like a newly made butterfly. At Josie Fleming's party, certain in the fashionable set had discovered that she was pretty and well-mannered and graceful, and the gentlemen liked her, and she helped to entertain some who had heretofore been hard to entertain, and she was Dr. Copeland's daughter, and ought to be noticed, so they noticed her. A tea-party to-day, a ride to-morrow, a social evening with a few friends the next day, and the days flew by. To each and all of these gatherings came Eben Bruce. For the explanation of his sudden freedom from business restraints and the lavish expenditures in which he joined, I shall have to go back a little and tell you of an added misfortune which has recently befallen him. There was a certain well-to-do old uncle, his mother's brother, on whom neither Eben nor his mother had built a single hope, for the reason that the crusty old man was offended with them both. He had earned a fair sum of money in the soap business, and, having no sons of his own, was willing to help his nephew into a comfortable position in the same establishment where he commenced life. He took care to explain the successive steps by which Eben might rise to having an acknowledged name in the firm and a voice in its decisions. But Eben hated the sight and the sound and the smell of soap. He would make no promises, offer no thanks, feel no gratitude. He never could or would be a soap dealer. He wanted to be a physician, and a physician he meant to be. His mother was partly on his side and partly on the brother's. When she talked with Eben, she spoke boldly of the money advantages of such an offer, and of the possibility that the uncle, having no son, and only one daughter of his own, might leave his nephew a handsome little sum to help him increase his business. When she talked with the uncle, she hinted at the greater respectability of a profession, and the evident talent that Eben had for professional life. The question was an open one for so many months, that finally all parties grew irritable under the strain. Eben declared himself sick and tired of the whole ill-smelling subject, and hoped that nothing would ever be said about it again in his presence. Mrs. Bruce alternately told her son that he had no regard for his mother's comfort, and her brother that he had no sympathy with a talented young man's aspirations after something higher. The uncle finally closed the matter by declaring that his nephew might aspire to the moon if he wanted to, and turn pill-vendor as quick as he pleased, but he need not then, nor ever, expect a penny's worth of help from him. And, to do them justice, they did not. Eben secured a clerkship and spent his evenings in earnest work over medical books. 
and up to the day when he attended the picnic in such company as satan being on the alert furnished for him while the lord's servants were busy here and there had held steadily to his purpose but the uncle as the years went by buried his daughter and then his wife and finally when in a sudden accident he lost his life while trying to save another it was found that his will carefully made and deposited in his lawyer's safe dated but a few days after his wife's death left all his nice little property to his nephew eben bruce news of this sudden uplift in his affairs followed hard on the telegram which announced the uncle's death so eben bruce who had not intended to take the long journey changed his mind threw up his clerkship and he and his mother went in deep mourning to the funeral of the soap dealer it might not be a pleasant way to make money but the money proved to be very pleasant to spend after it was made life is certainly a great bewilderment i often wonder what the hard-working men would say if they could suddenly come back among the living and see the ways in which their fortunes are being used one cannot help honouring the old uncle for choking down his anger and his sense of ill-treatment and making his nephew his heir yet i suppose that of all the misfortunes which happened to eben bruce that winter the most to be regretted was the one which brought him into possession of a small fortune to do with as he would the spirit which had been recently roused in him was just the one to be fostered by the knowledge that he had money without working for it and unlimited time at his disposal he began well he set his mother at ease in a boarding-house that was suited to her taste with a comfortable bank account for her use then he went back to eastwood and made prompt arrangements to enter dr copeland's office as a student it was found to be eminently convenient for dr copeland to have his medical student board with him so this change was effected lloyd mclean looked on at the packing and even assisted in the preparations for his roommate's flitting making the while certain dolorous and at the same time comic speeches which covered a sigh over the easier lot of his fellow student well old fellow good-bye he said as they swung the old hair trunk into the hall and watched the porter downstairs this is the last of you one of these days i suppose i shall wait for five mortal hours in your reception-room waiting my turn to consult the great dr bruce and my errand will be to see if you will be so kind as to lend a poor student a work on corns or bunions or something or other that he may study up a case i shall be grey by that time and worn to a skeleton but i shall just have reached the happy hour when i can give all my time to the aforesaid work with no money with which to buy it and i shall look up at you with tears in my eyes and say sir i remember you in your earlier days before the sun of prosperity had dawned upon you in memory of those old times when we used to eat hash and codballs together i trust you will lend me the book and so with much laughter and nonsense these two who had been intimately associated for several months shook hands and their lives separated this will account in part for the fact that eben bruce ran down rapidly without the knowledge of his friend it was easier to do it now the medical student occupied the room adjoining the doctor's office and let himself in at any hour of the night disturbing no one 
and appeared always at the breakfast-table, hollow-eyed it is true, and looking wretchedly overworked, calling upon himself the sympathies of the family, and the warning of the busy doctor not to study late, it did not pay in the end. It was not that Eben Bruce intended to ruin himself, it was not that he sought out evil companions, and went to ruin with them. He drank, for the most part, alone. It was not that he drank what most men would call to excess. It was simply that his sensitively organized, easily excited brain rebelled against the smallest portion of liquid fire. It was simply an unnatural taste for alcohol which had slumbered all unsuspected in his brain, and which had been handed down to him through generations of men who were not drunkards, but who took beer and wine and brandy as tonics, respectably under the physician's orders. Poor Eben Bruce, with his finer nerves and his higher grade of intellect, and his keener sensibilities, could not take these things as tonics, could not be respectable even under the physician's orders. His mother was at fault. She had sipped her beer when he was a creeping baby, to give her strength to care for him. He never thought of blaming his mother for the fire that burned in his veins, and had roused into power the first taste of alcohol blessed ignorance of babyhood. He did not know that she was to blame. Miserable ignorance of motherhood, she did not know it either. Neither did she know that he was going swiftly down. She rejoiced over him during those days. They were all ignorant together. Have you never looked on with wide-open eyes that wondered and wondered at the blindness of some concerning their nearest and dearest? Least of all did Fanny Copeland understand. She knew that her father's medical student was coming daily into closer relations with her, that he had dropped the formal Miss Copeland. She was Fanny to him now. In fact, occasionally, when they were quite alone, he had surprised her in some moment of excitement over a discussion by an eager, My dear Fanny. She had blushed and tried to look unconscious over the slip of the tongue, but acknowledged to herself that it was a very sweet slip, and he spoke the words as though they might have meant a good deal to him. And so the sweet dream went on. The mother looked on, not altogether unanxious. She asked the doctor whether his student was perfectly satisfactory, and how long it would be before he could begin to practice, and just what was the sum his uncle left him. Occasionally she said to herself with a half-sigh that Fanny was so pretty and so bright, she had hoped, or rather she had fancied, and then she did not tell even herself what she had fancied, but said hastily, No matter, if they are really attached to each other, and he is a good young man, why, happiness is the best thing after all. And she thought tenderly of her own poor doctor, who had never yet seen the year in which he did not have to plan carefully so as to hold up his head out of debt, when the annual looking over of accounts fell due. This woman had had other opportunities, more brilliant, but she thought of them with a smile, and knew that one day with the doctor was worth them all. It might be the same with Fanny. And she did not touch by so much as a heart-throb the one element in the case which might mean misery and danger for Fanny. The doctor was equally blind, more so indeed. Manlike, he looked upon his daughter Fanny as a child under her mother's care, Eben Bruce's attentions were the natural outgrowth of the native politeness of a young fellow 
whom circumstances had thrown into daily contact with the child. Nothing was serious except the cases of fever and lung troubles which he had on hand just now, and which kept him busy all day and anxious day and night. Perhaps the boy Holly was the only one who could be said to be wide awake. With the peculiar interest which is sometimes so marked in thoughtful boys, he held aloof from Eben Bruce. Not that he disliked him, or was rude to him, or indeed had much to do with him in any way. He seemed simply to stand apart and watch him. "'Why doesn't Bruce go to the temperance meetings?' he asked one day, suddenly, as the family lingered at the tea-table waiting for the belated doctor to finish his meal. The student had excused himself, and gone to the office to execute a commission for the doctor. "'To the temperance meetings?' repeated his sister. "'What meetings? Where are they?' "'Why, down in the hall. They have them every Friday night. Good ones, too. Ever so many people sign the pledge.' If you were not so busy going to parties and things, you would know all about them. Do you think Mr. Bruce in special need of attending the meetings, my boy? It was Mrs. Copeland who asked the question, her voice pleasant, her eyes smiling. She did not know enough about the young man's habits to even imagine that there might be a sting in the question. Holly sent a swift look after his sister, and spoke quickly. Why, mother, as to that, I think there is a special need of everybody going. Mr. Cleveland goes, and young McLean, and hosts of men who never drink at all. They are trying to save the drunkards, a kind effort, certainly, but it seems to me rather a hopeless one. The mother's voice was still composed. She had no drunkard to save. She had only a passing interest in any effort of the kind. Holly hesitated. There was something he wanted to say, but he was not sure of the wisdom or the kindness of it. Still he ventured. "'I guess they are trying to save some who may be drunkards when they get older, if they don't get started right now. I know one thing. If I were a girl, I wouldn't have anything to do with a fellow who wouldn't sign the pledge. Not in these times.' Fanny laughed, though there was a jarring note in the laughter. "'Why, Holly,' she said, have you been engaged to champion the cause? Seems to me you are rather young for a lecturer. I am not too young to coax people to sign the pledge. I urged Mr. Bruce for half an hour yesterday, and he refused. Why do you particularly want him to sign? Mrs. Copeland was the questioner. Her voice simply expressed amusement. The zeal of this young champion for temperance was not all unpleasant to her, but seemed to have the natural overdrawn element of youth in it. "'Why, mother, for the same reason that I asked others, to get his name and his influence on the right side, and because—' The truthful boy hesitated, and his cheeks flushed. There was another reason. "'Because I thought he might need its help himself. Father, may I be excused and take that package round to Dunlap's now?' "'Yes,' said his father, "'and I must be excused. They are waiting for me at Stewart's, I dare say. By the way, my dear, poor old Joe Hartzell is gone, died this morning. I suppose poor Kate will need a little help now.' "'Dead is he,' said Mrs. Copeland. "'Poor wretch! I suppose that is what has just now fired Holly's zeal afresh.' But Fanny still played with her spoon. Her cheeks flushed. Mamma, she said at last, 
i think holly goes among those grown people too much and gets made too much of he is growing impudent the idea of his speaking to mr bruce as he did and setting up his judgment about the pledge oh no said the mother he doesn't mean to be impudent it is just boyish enthusiasm he asks everybody to sign the pledge why he coaxed his father into it the other night i reminded him that he could not take a hot drink with brandy in it now after he had been out in the cold and he said he would give up all the hot drinks in the country for the boy's sake and after all fanny we may be glad that his energy takes such a turn it is a dreadful town suppose he went to the bad your father was telling me only last night of meeting a man who used to know john hartzell when he was a splendid young man in college and look at him now think what it would be to have a drunkard in our family fanny holly may better extract pledge signers all over the country than take any such direction besides the temperance meetings are sustained by the very first people you heard holly say that mr cleveland always attends them oh i am not saying anything against their temperance meetings fanny said with a restless air it is a grand thing to try to get hold of the drunkards i suppose but holly ought not to be permitted to insult young men who haven't time to indulge in such work i am sure papa thinks mr bruce is overdoing as it is End of chapter 27